out of bed, tried to come across my head. On the way downstairs, I drank a cup. And looking up, I noticed I was late. Found my coat, grabbed my hat, made the bus seconds flat. Well, if you are tapping your feet, or if you are tapping your hands, I'm sorry, I am too, but I figured we had to cut this song off somewhere, and getting on the bus was the best place to do so. You got to figure after about six weeks in a quarantine for most of us, life feels pretty much like the Beatles a day in the life by this point, doesn't it? I hope you are well, I hope you're healthy, and I hope you're making it through, and I am sure that you are. Regarding the Beatles a day in the life, the song that we just heard I debated taking the string section out of that song, especially at the beginning, since the quality isn't really that good, and just starting it with the noise of the alarm clock. But I think that that string section really reflects the angst that many of us may be feeling these days. But since this, of course, is not a psychology podcast, I won't go that route. But I think the strings and the, the, the tension you feel is probably what many of us feel on a day-to-day basis these days for multiple reasons. Anyway, my name's Peter Martin president of Gosselin Martin Associates, and you are listening to the High Reliability Podcast. This podcast is the healthcare facilities management podcast that aims to discuss a day in the life of a healthcare facilities professional. Today, I am joined by Vance Vinson. Vance is director of facilities at Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. Vance has 3.5 million square feet. He has 946 beds. So amidst this pandemic, which has tragically taken so many lives across the country and the world, I asked Vance if he could join us to discuss a day in his life at his hospital. Today is April 30th. So Vance, who's been a leader in healthcare facilities management for more than 20 years, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, Pete. I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. I guess Vance is as good a place to start as any would be, you know, can you describe a a typical day in the life uh, these days at Miami Valley Hospital since, you know, mid-March or so? What's been going on for you and your team? You know, it's it's funny you call it a a typical day because anymore, none of the days that um, we have here are typical. Um, You know, it it went with the initial outbreak and the, the predictions that uh, we were going to be overflowing with uh, sick folks and need all these resources that we were going to have to reach out for. Um, and, and at that time, uh, in, in the facilities world, we were all about, okay, so when a patient comes in, where are they going to be in the facility and where are they going in the facility? So we can do things that not only... Uh, help protect the patients and the staff, uh, but also protect the building. Um, as far as we don't want to get uh, major infrastructure infrastructure uh, portions of the facility um, affected because it obviously uh, greatly affects on how quickly we'd able we'd be able to turn that around and go back to normal operations whenever that time comes. 
And then we kind of went through, uh, we worked through those things and we kind of went through a little bit of a lull for, I don't know, maybe a week. And then it was, okay, eventually one of these days we're going to open the surgeries back up. We're going to uh, start running more and more like normal. What does our world look like going back out or coming becoming open again? And you go and look at things again, uh, patient travel, where people come into the building, how they come into the building, where they interact with the staff. Um, and you start thinking about, okay, here's an interaction point. What do we need to do to not only protect the, the patients and the visitors, but also our staff? And so that's the mode we're in right now it, in Ohio. Uh, we're going for a, uh, phased rollout, I think is what the governor calls it. But basically for the hospital, we are going to be restart our, um, outpatient surgeries, um, starting May 1st at eight o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Huh? So, you know, we've been hustling around making, um, and, and I'm sure everybody's seen them at the grocery stores. Those of us that still do the, uh, I call it with my wife, I call it, I'm going out foraging, uh, <laughs> when I go to the grocery store. Um, but, uh, you know, you've, you've all seen the barriers, the Lexan or the plexiglass barriers that they have in place at the grocery stores. Um, and, and so we've, uh, scrounged up some material and, and we've put in place some of those barriers where we have higher volume interactions, uh, with our staff. Uh, how, um, how is your, so there, there, I mean, there's so many questions, but right now it's almost like you're living in, in, in two different worlds where you're still, you know, you've still got the. Uh, pandemic ongoing, but also now you're taking a step into the future with uh, surgery um, opening up tomorrow. Elective surgery is open up. How is your staff dealing with that, Vance? How, like, what is their mindset? And talk a little bit about that and their evolution from, I guess, mid March to May. What, what is their? How have they been for you? Scared, excited, combinations. Just talk about that a bit, please. You know, a lot of that depends on each guy's personality. The guys that are a little more easygoing or, or more likely to roll with the punches and, and be happy, go lucky. And, and the, the folks that are, are more of a type A personality tend to, uh, be more concerned for their health and what working here, uh, might mean to their, uh, life and their family's well-being. Um, but you know, for the most part, the group has been really great. Um, had a couple of concerns very, very early on, uh, about protection and PPE. And, and once the guys really saw, um, when they went to a nursing unit that, uh, had presumptive positive or positive patients that they were going to be following the cues of the nursing staff and the infection control professionals as far as PPE and, and what they couldn't, couldn't do and what they needed to do. Um, 
people got used to that and they got more comfortable with it. And now you, they don't really even think anything about having to go to, to one of those floors or one of those nursing units, um, and, and get things done. That's good. Uh, that's where you want to be. That's exactly where you want to be. Did you have to educate and communicate at first? And I'd imagine, I mean, education and communication are always ongoing, but ha- did you have to focus even a little bit more on it uh, due to questions and just the unknown? Well, you know, initially we got everybody together and said, okay, look, here's what's going on. Um, here's what we know right now. Um, and here's how it affects our operation right now. And as things evolved and progressed and matured, um, we kind of adopted or adapted to that, um, and, and kind of changed our, or adapted our operation accordingly. What, what has been the biggest adjustment that you've had to make, um, at that, what you were just taught at that level? Well, you know, for us, and, and I might be getting in a, a little bit into the weeds, Pete, but, um, you know, I was, I was really amazed or surprised at how people jumped to conclusions so quickly. And um, initially, there was talk in our organization about, every single room and and patient room in the hospital needed to be negative air and you know the discussions that go down that rabbit hole and and you know we finally sat down uh the stakeholders finally sat down and kind of had a conversation like this mm-hmm. i would ask tell me clinically what you have to have do you have to have negative air or do we just need to exhaust the air that's that's in the patient rooms? And then once they answered that, I said, okay, do you want the hallways to exhaust all the air? Because here's here's what we can do, and here's the cost to it and the time. You know, I, I said we can change the air handlers in a matter of 15 minutes. So they're supplying 100 percent outside air on those affected units where we've got the presumptive positive and positive patients. And we exhaust that air um, out of that space straight outside. No, it's not a true negative air, but we're not recirculating it within the building. So we're not contaminating or or possibly contaminating uh, another area or a larger portion of the building. I said, yes, I can change a lot of things and make every single patient room um, on every single unit negative, but it's going to take a couple of hours to do that or a couple of days to do that per unit. And for us at, at uh, Miami Valley, a nursing unit's an entire floor of a building for the most part. Um, You know, so, you know, we would have to go in and, and uh, manually, shut some dampers, open some dampers, uh, bring our hoods in, make sure we've got things uh, set in place and lock them in place. Um, Because in that type of situation, if they had to have negative error, it was pretty critical that 
your controls didn't drift or your controls didn't um, have a hiccup and forget where they were at and revert back to normal. Or if, even if we had a power outage, the possibility of the, the controls setting things back to a normal operation uh, concerned us. So we, we wanted to literally go in and lock every damper and every VAV box in place. And then obviously when we come out of this, we would have to reverse all that. Long story short is um, because of the design of the building and we do have two true negative air pressure rooms or isolation rooms um, on each unit in our main patient tower, um, the clinicians and infection control were content with exhausting all the air out of those units and using the uh, isolation rooms for asp- uh, procedures that uh, would cause aspirations. So from, a, from an infrastructure perspective, did you have to make any, I don't want to say ma- every change is major, but major, major changes, um, you know, that, that an investment into it or, or how did that fare? You mentioned it right at the very beginning. Well, it, it really, fortunately for us and the way our, our uh, HVAC systems are set up in our main patient tower, um, it, it was just a matter of uh, closing the return uh, air vent that, or, or air duct that went in back, reserved the air handler. And when you close that, it automatically dumps all that air outside. So it really wasn't a big thing. What really surprised me though, um, and, and our weather has been pretty mild. I knew we'd use more energy going that route versus running the air handler like it, we normally would on a regular day before COVID. Um, and it really surprised me how much more natural gas we used uh, because we were bringing in 100% outside air. I mean, you could see it every morning out of our steam plant. We're on a, on a 45-degree morning. Typically, we'd run four, maybe five boilers. Um, and that fifth boiler would be like a peaker. So when patients were taking a lot of showers or they were washing the dishes um, after breakfast, you'd see us go up into five boilers and then back down for the rest of the day. Well, when we went to 100% outside air, we went from four to five boilers a day to six to seven and even sometimes eight boilers a day. And And we were thinking, what is going on? We've got a major steam leak or we've got a relief valve going off and you know, we're out looking and we're not finding anything. And, and I reached out to a, a consulting firm here in Dayton, uh, who, who does a lot of our, uh, mechanical designs, um, got them the data and, and they did, they just, for me, it was a great job because they, they gave me a visual, um, graph, took our, our boiler logs, showed us here's, here's your load when, uh, before COVID here's your load since you've changed, uh, your air handlers to be hundred percent outside air. And here's how many BTUs that equates to 
So guess what? That BTU load, that extra BTU load is exactly the number of boilers extra that you're running. So it it really was a relief for me, but it it was the report we got was so spot on and, and you could just 30 seconds, you could see the whole picture and go, okay, it makes sense now. Yeah. So you've almost doubled. It sounds like, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's, um, that's interesting. I guess, you know, you do what you have to do and then you see what those ramifications, you, you, you don't always think through the ramifications because you're just doing what's right at the time. Right. You know, for me, and it it was one of those deals for me, we've got a display um, in the office here that shows the steam plant and all the boilers running. So I get in the habit of every morning when I walk in, I look and see how many boilers running. I got a pretty good idea of what the temperature is outside. And, and it was one of those deals where you look at it and go, it's not that cold. Why are we running so many boilers? And it was just more of a mm-hmm. doesn't feel right in your bones thing. Right. Right. Um, but again, once you put it down on paper and did the math, it, it, it did all explain itself. And, and that put a lot of us, uh, at ease. Yes. Yeah. yeah Cause now, you know, did you ever have a surge? We, uh, Ohio has done very well. Um, wasn't, wasn't Ohio, um, very early on and everything really from like March 6th, everything has gone hyperspeed, but wasn't that one of the States early on where the governor had said he was thinking there was like a hundred thousand more cases than were being reported. The Ohio was one of the very first States to, uh, close the schools, um, implement social distancing, um, implement, uh, non-essential business closings, um, and, and also implement a daily, uh, press briefing to give an update. And, and so the predictions for Ohio and for Dayton, um, the actual surge that we saw was really much, much smaller um, than what everyone had feared or predicted initially. Of course, you know, the initial fears and predictions were based on what was going on in New York and New Jersey. And, right, um, you know, we had the National Guard come in and do an assessment of our non-clinical spaces for beds and um the community did uh, had the National Guard do uh, an assessment of the convention center and made plans for that. And thankfully, we didn't have to pull a trigger on any of those things. But it got to the point where um, the concern was valid enough to actually have them come in and and uh, generate the assessment on how many beds we could actually, uh, you know, put on campus and how many patients we could support. So what did they, how many, so you've got 946 beds. What, what did they assess? How much could you have gone to if you needed to? We could have gone, uh, to 270 on top of that. Wow. Um, and, and obviously we don't physically have the beds for that, but that's where the, the national guard and the army corps of engineers come in. They, they, have the resources to bring um, cots and beds in into us. And, you know, this wouldn't, this wouldn't be individual rooms f- for folks. This would be more like an award setting. Um, if you kind of, and I, I know I'm aging myself when I say this, Pete, but if you kind of picture it as the mash unit, 
<laughs> I remember Mash. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it it it'd be kind of it'd be a setup kind of like that, um, and and it would be for non-critical patients, obviously. Um, so yeah, we could they figured out we could put about two hundred and seventy more patients uh, here, which what's that bring our total up to twelve hundred and ten? Yes, yes, if, yeah. I'm if, looking. I'm looking. Yeah, <laughs> if we needed to, um, you know, and that's a lot of people. Right. Yeah, that certainly is. What, um, what did at, at the max, what did you have for, I guess, like a census, but also like a COVID-19 specific census? Well, um, our census, as soon as the, the state implemented the non-essential work in the stay at home, um, our census really went soft. Um, our census is typically 75 per, to 80 percent of our capacity and and we were down to the upper 40s lower 50 percentage um but really to me the telling tale is at in 2017 anyway um miami valley hospital had the busiest er in the state of ohio and that is just by counting the number of of admission or not admissions, but the number of encounters in the ER. And, and we typically run, um, 300, uh, visits or encounters a day. Busy place. And, and when things really got shut down and clamped down, um, our, our census was about in the ED was about a fifth of that. So, and that kind of, you know, on one side you go, holy moly, um, that's not good. The other party is going, but wait a minute. That means people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're staying in, you know, they're, they're staying in. Good news, bad news. (laughs) Right. Good news, bad news. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, really, oddly enough, even though you know, in, in Ohio, we haven't changed anything, uh, as far as the restrictions we've seen our, our ED volume come back, um, not quite where it was, but, uh, come back substantially in the last, actually this last week. I was going to say that's good. I don't know if <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, it's good and it's bad. You know, it's right. good. That, it's good that we're busy and, or we're getting busy again. It's right. bad that, those folks aren't having good days. Exactly. Your business is somebody else's misery. Exactly. Yeah. Who was, uh, who was your favorite mash character? You know, and, and I'm torn between that. I, I liked Henry. Ah, and, and here's why. And, and you can probably guess this, Pete. He was from Bloomington, Illinois. <laughs> Every single episode that he was in, somewhere during each episode, he mentioned Bloomington, Illinois. Did he really? He, he honest to God. And that's, that's pretty good because he was what three years on that oh, show, three four years. Yeah, <laughs> and and I I grew up twenty five or thirty miles from there. So there you go. That's a good answer. So, you know, I, I liked him. 
but I also like BJ. Um, and and the favorite episode for me for BJ was when everybody was trying to find out what his name meant. <laughs> and and, what, and what? how and how simple the truth was. What was it? His mom's name was B, and his dad's name was J. BJ. BJ. There you go. <laughs> so. Good, that's good, good memory. So back to COVID. Yeah, and, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I asked the question. We're speaking to Vance Vincent. Vance is the director of facilities at Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. What have you, um, I guess, is there any lesson that you've learned through this and the best practice that you can take away from this that that you're able to use, Vance? You know, from and this is solely just from my perspective. The biggest thing that I've learned, or the thing that that has helped me uh, most in in through this experience, is if I get to sit down or I get to have a conversation with the clinical folks, and I let them tell me what they need. I'm able to go, okay, well, we can do that. And here's how we can make that happen. And, and that initial conversation, when I allow them to tell me what they need and I can respond by saying, here's how we make that happen, um, gets buy-in from them, number one. And number two, it gets a better understanding, in my perception, a better understanding. They have a better understanding of, how we do some of the things we do every day. Cause let's face it, facilities, isn't the sexiest thing in a hospital. Um, you know, people take for granted that the temperature in their office is always 71 or 72. The lights always turn on and the toilets always flush. Um, and, and obviously they don't see the mechanical rooms, the boiler rooms, the chiller plants. Um, so they really don't have a comprehension of what it takes to, uh, make those simple everything everyday things happen. Um, and I find that if I don't allow them to say, here's what we need or here's how we need it to work, and then me come back with, well, here's how I can do that, um, they really say, okay, you need to make every room negative error. Okay, well, let's, when we sat down and talked through that, they realized, you know what, we really don't mean negative air what we mean is you need to dump all that air outside a much easier task right than making every room negative air (laughs) so so it's a it's a um, simple lesson a simple lesson but a difficult lesson yes (laughs) simple and difficult it's Sounds simple. And it's interesting too because in facilities i mean you know this anybody who's worked in it knows it there's always speed is always of the essence every day you go in but i'd imagine you're ratcheted up now times 10 i mean if you take the hysteria the right hysteria at the beginning right if you take all the coverage and the hysteria the demands on the department and on you and really on everybody must have been even quicker than you used to do things i mean your turnaround times had to be difficult to meet i would imagine yeah they they were quick um and and you know what i it all is a testament to the team that I've, I've got working with me. Um, a great set of guys, very talented. Um, 
and and just a really phenomenal uh, attitude and work ethic. How many guys do you have working in your department? Uh, including uh, the crew I've got in the steam plant, I've got uh, 65 uh, employees. Uh, and so there, you, you said this earlier, but they're making it, they're making, they're making it through well. Yeah, they're, they're making it through well. Um, we, we've got a, uh, a really diverse group. Some, some folks that, that have been here, I joke with them. They've been here since the cornerstone for the hospital was set. Um, <laughs> what year was that? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it, it varies all the way up to people that have, have only been here five or six months. Um, but the, it, it really is amazing to me to, to see how, um, accepting and forthcoming with information, uh, the guys that have been here a long, long time are with the guys coming in. Um, and, and it really is, uh, uh, I hate to keep saying Testament, but it, it really says a lot about the quality of the people they are. Um, because they're, they're taking the, the people that are, are new here and saying, okay, here's how we do it. Here's why we do it this way. And here's what we're trying to accomplish. And aside from learning the mechanical systems and how the different systems work here, um, they're really great at explaining to the new guys why we do the things we do. That's great. I mean, as you know, that doesn't happen all the time and it doesn't happen no. everywhere. So no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's excellent. Vince Vinson, Director of Facilities at Miami Valley Hospital. Thank you for your time in Dayton, Ohio. Thank you for your time this afternoon. I appreciate it. Pete, Good luck. thank you for the conversation. <laughs> it was great to talk to you again. Yes. I mean, 30, 30 minutes went by quickly. So yes, I, it did. Thank you. And my name's Peter Martin. This is the High Reliability Podcast from Goslin Martin Associates. Look us up on the web or give us a call. Thank you for your time. Stay safe and have a good day.